Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Durst Show. Uh, the subject for today's show is uh, why uh, all of Donald Trump's trials, the one in the state court and the one in the federal courts, must be televised. But before we get to that, there are two items of, of breaking news. One, obviously political and relevant to this. The Justice Department has announced that Hunter Biden will probably be indicted on, on gun charges. Um, remember that he made a deal whereby he wouldn't be indicted on gun charges. He'd be put into a diversionary program, but the deal collapsed. That doesn't mean you still can't have a deal. Probably there'll be a deal. But uh, right now it looks like uh, the Justice Department is upping the ante and getting ready to indict him, whether it be for a misdemeanor, we don't know. Um, and the other thing, uh, which is closer to home for me, is that it was announced today, this is really breaking news, that uh, they did a ranking of all the major colleges in the United States uh, in terms of freedom of speech, how much freedom of speech there is on the campus, how little freedom of speech. And Guess which school ranked dead last, not only last, but got a score below zero. And that's the school I taught at for 50 years, uh, Harvard University. They got the lowest score in the country, below zero. They didn't have the capacity to grade it below zero, but the actual raw numbers are below zero. And uh, many of us on the faculty saw that and we, we started a, a group now um, for free free speech and academic freedom on campus. Imagine Harvard needing a group of faculty defending free speech um, and academic freedom on campus, but we desperately need it because the administration is not helping and the student body uh, with exceptions are not helping and the faculty is not helping. So we now have this group that's going to be defending Harvard. Hope it'll raise the score next year. Maybe by next year, we'll be only second or third to last. The other schools that are very much in the low ranking are Columbia, Penn, um, some of the good, good schools. And the engineering schools tend to have the most, uh, the most free speech. It's, 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 it's ironic and it's sad that there's so little free speech on Harvard's campus. Uh, and teachers teach that free speech is patronizing and it's um, uh, patriarchal and um, and it's uh, not woke. You don't need free speech if you know the truth, right? You don't need due process if you know the truth. Uh, due process and free speech are for wimps. Uh, we woke people, we don't need that. We know what the truth is. We don't have to have dissenting opinions. We don't have to have due process. Due pro just barriers to getting our way. And of course, woke culture says we got to get our way. If we don't get our way, it's the highway. And 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 we're not going to let you express your free speech on campus. Uh, the motto of Harvard ought to be changed from veritas, uh, truth, to free speech for me, but not for the academic freedom for me, but not for the, I don't want to be self-referential, but this all started after I left. I was the strongest voice for free speech at Harvard for the 50 years that I was there. I just did not let the administration get away with 
uh, anything. For example, there was a professor uh, of psychiatry who wrote a book saying he's examined a hundred or so people who claim to have had sightings uh, and, and being captured by space aliens. And he did it. He, he studied them psychiatrically and he you know, said there, there are three or four possible options. Uh, one, they're liars. Two, they're mentally ill. You know, went through all of them. None of them bore out the research. So he said in the book, I guess there is a possibility. Maybe they really did see space aliens. Maybe they were inducted. As a result of that, the school went after him and tried to get him disciplined or fired. I defended him pro bono, and we won. Uh, and that happened when the Palestinian students wanted to put up a flag uh, to commemorate the death of Yasser Arafat. The school wouldn't let them. I defended the Palestinian students, made them put up the flag. I then went to the demonstration and I, I, I said that Yasser Arafat's death was untimely, untimely in the sense if he had only died five years earlier, there'd be peace in the Middle East. So, you know, I expressed my freedom of speech very much against Arafat, but I defended the right of Palestinians to put up a flag and hold a memorial for this despicable man, Yasser Arafat. That spirit is not really there at Harvard anymore. There is this group that is trying to keep it alive, but it's a relatively small group, uh, you know, a very small percentage of the faculty belongs to the group, including some so-called uh, liberals who don't belong to the group because they don't want to offend the wokes. And uh, it's it's a very, very dangerous, because let's remember what Harvard is. For better or worse, it's the most important university in the world. And it's the university from which the leaders of the world come, presidents, Supreme Court justices, uh, members of Congress, um, you know, scratch a, a, a member of Congress or a or, an, uh, or, or a presidential candidate, many of them, and, you know, crimson blood will flow. Um, and so, uh, you know, University of Pennsylvania, Trump went there. Uh, Harvard, DeSantis went there. And uh, some of the other candidates went there. So we're not just talking about uh, any school. We're talking about the place that will produce in the next 10 years members of Congress, people who are running the New York Times, CNN, already some of them are, uh, and in 20 years, these kids who are now in college will be running for president. Uh, and maybe in less than 20 years. Look, there's a 37-year-old who graduated Harvard only, what, 15 years ago or something like that. He's running for president. You, have to, you only have to be 35. So everybody has a stake in Harvard's failure. And Harvard is a new president. And um, she does not have a good record on, on, on free speech. She was part of the group that, that fired Ron Sullivan um, as being a dean of uh, one of the colleges there, the first African-American couple to be deans of a college, uh, got fired because he had committed the horrible, horrible sin of actually representing somebody that the students didn't like, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, they didn't object when he represented a Boston Patriot who was convicted of double murder. Um, that's okay. Um, but somebody who was convicted of being a sexist, essentially, the students said, we feel unsafe. We feel unsafe with him as dean. It's okay that he defended murderers, but it's not okay that he defended somebody who offended us because of his sexual uh, misconduct. And um, the administration was behind that. Uh, and so they're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And so I'm going to keep watch on, on this. I mean, I care deeply about so many of the issues that are going on, but free speech 
is one of the most important issues in my life and free speech at Harvard, where I spent 50 years defending free speech. And as soon as I leave, I don't know what's going on. Um, I have, you know, I left Harvard 10 years ago. I retired at 75 and now 85. I have never been invited to speak on the campus since that time. Never. There was one invitation that was extended to me by a Jewish organization, Chabad, and they had to move my speech off campus for fear that it would be disrupted and my, my safety would be physically endangered. And so they had to move the speech off campus to the Chabad house. But I have never been invited to speak uh, back at the law school or uh, at the college. Uh, um, and certainly since I defended Donald Trump on the floor of the Senate, I do not expect that I would ever be invited back. And if I ever did want to come back, no matter what the subject would be, there would be protests, there would be uh, possibly physical violence. I, I'm willing to endure the risk of that, but the school is not. And so Harvard is only a symptom of a much, much, much more pervasive problem. So let's turn to television. Today in Fulton County, the judge who's going to preside over the trial of Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants uh, had a hearing on television and uh, he denied uh, or said he was going to deny, but basically told us he was going to deny some severance motions that have been made by some of the lawyers in the case to try to separate them out from the other defendants. And then he called for briefs to be filed on whether or not they can be tried together, when they can be tried together. It's, it's a difficult thing when you have 19 defendants because two of them so far, and there'll be another one at least, maybe more, are moving for speedy trials, which they're entitled to under, um, under the law of, uh, of Georgia. And so their trials have to be scheduled sometime in October. The others don't want uh, to be tried in October. You can't, <laughs> you can't defend against a multifaceted RICO case with 19 defendants and prepare for it <clears throat> in what it would be now, five, six weeks. It's absurd. Um, and so the judge is going to have to make some hard decisions. From our point of view of this show, it was very good that he was on television. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was disadvantaged. Uh, he, he heard arguments. The arguments were, were good arguments. And his rulings, I think, were wrong. But, uh, you know, he made a, a, a case for them. The American public heard it. The trials of Donald Trump must be televised, not only the state trials, which probably will be. The state trial in Georgia probably will be. I don't know about New York. New York allows some trials to be televised. But, boy, if I were Alfred Bragg, I would not want that trial to be televised. Uh, I would not want myself to be televised. It's such an outrageous, unconstitutional, illegal, uh, unethical um, uh, indictment against them in New York that if, if I were Alfred Bragg, I'd, I'd hide under a rock. But, um, but uh, it should be on television. I think that the federal trial should be on television too, the one in Florida and the one in the District of Columbia. Now, there's a current rule against that, but that rule can be abrogated. Um, it was in the Supreme Court when the decision overruling Roe versus Wade was argued, and there have been several other cases, that have been argued very important cases, the Supreme Court has allowed um, uh, verbal representations, uh, that is, uh, audio transmission of the actual argument. I think they may have a couple of second delay in case any justice of the Supreme Court or any litigant uh, says something um, foul, which never happens in the Supreme Court. 
last time anything like that ever happened, it's worth it's worth telling the story because it's a free speech story. There was a case many years ago when I was a young professor during the um, Vietnam War where a kid named Cohen uh, went into a federal courtroom um, and had a jacket uh, on and the jacket said, fuck the draft, um, not F you, but the actual word. And he was arrested. And that case went up to the Supreme Court. And the Chief Justice Warren Burger wrote a letter to the lawyers uh, who were arguing the case on behalf of Cohen um, saying, this is the Supreme Court, this is a place of great dignity. We don't want you to use that word. We all know what the word is, but just don't use that word. Just you can say that word, uh, but don't say the actual word. Of course, the lawyer for the uh, defendant uh, read it and he got up and he said, your honors, may it please the court, Fuck the draft. Fuck the draft. There, I've said it, Your Honor. The walls haven't crumbled. The universe survives. The nation thrives. I've said the word. And boy, the Chief Justice was furious at him, livid at him, but he won the case. Justice Harlan, probably the most personally conservative person on the Supreme Court, a real, real wasp whose grandfather had been a justice of the Supreme Court, whose family owned Harlan County, uh, Kentucky, and who probably never used the F word in his life. Never, ever, ever. He wrote an opinion saying, you know, one man's obscenity is another man's lyric. And far be it from the Supreme Court to tell you how to protest. So um, interesting how, how a word like that uh, could have um, a profound impact on the justice of the Supreme Court. And the lawyer was brilliant for doing it. If he had accepted the chief justice's admonition, the word itself, you know, would have become taboo. But he pronounced the word and said, no, no, I'm not going to live by that. I'm exercising free speech rights in the very chambers of the Supreme Court. If you don't like it, arrest me. That's the way I would have argued the case if I had been the lawyer. He did it and he he won the case. In any event, the Supreme Court does allow, on occasion, um, um, audio transmission of its arguments, and nothing negative has happened. So I think the federal courts uh, ought to uh, make an exception. Maybe they ought to change the rule. I think they ought to change the rule. I think all trials should be um, uh, televised, except if, you know, children are involved or there are, you know, state secrets or something of that kind. But, you know, the Constitution talks about a public trial and public means as public as possible under the technology of the day, which meant back in, you know, 1793, it, it meant basically uh, trial open to the public. Journalists with their quill pens could come in and, and take notes. There was no television or, or radio. But now we have radio and television. And why should the courts be closed? Why shouldn't it be as public as possible? Um, you know, if the courtroom fit 500 people back in the day, 500 people would have been allowed to see it. Uh, now you can have a million or 2 million or 10 million people watching it. Actually, the trial of Donald Trump would make the O.J. Simpson case look like it was hardly even on television because there would be so many people watching the trial. And it's important. Why is it important? Because we don't trust the media. We don't trust CNN to tell the story accurately. We don't trust MSNBC to tell the story of the trial accurately. We don't trust the New York Times to tell the story accurately. We want to see it with our own eyes. Who is it? Groucho Marx? 
What do you believe, uh, me or your own eyes? No, I don't believe you. I believe my own eyes. My own, I guess he said my lying eyes. But in any event, eyes don't lie. Um, they can misinterpret events. Uh, and even if it's on television, there'll be commentators. You know, there was um, a poll after the O.J. Simpson case. It was on television. People watched it. Some didn't. Those who watched it were much less surprised at the outcome than those who read about it through the prism of journalists who had a biased point of view, obviously. Uh, the same thing would be true here. If it's not on television and you read it in the New York Times, you're going to immediately assume that Trump is guilty of everything and that, you know, the judge is the great hero and, and the prosecutor is the great hero and the defense attorneys are, you know, uh, cancelable um, and bad people. If you see it with your own eyes, you make your own judgment. Why don't we trust the people to make judgments about our legal system? Why don't we trust people to watch it on television? I don't know whether Donald Trump wants it to be on television. Frankly, I don't care. That's not his call. The American public has the right to watch it. Now, if he can show that it being on television would substantially prejudice him and, and cause him to be denied certain rights, all right, I can hear that argument, but that's not the argument that's being made. The argument that's being made is no argument at all. It's, oh, it'll make a circus. No, it won't. I've argued, I argued the first appeal on television, the Klaus von Bülow case, and there were television cameras, and they observed my entire argument. I didn't even notice them. Um, I was arguing in front of seven people, the justices of the Rhode Island Supreme Court. I was not arguing uh, to the television cameras. Now, I knew that the justices would be on television. So, yeah, maybe I did uh, frame some of my arguments with that in mind. That's that's the reality. You do that in any high-profile case. You want to make sure that when the justices go home to their spouses um, and say, you know, I think we might reverse this conviction, that uh, the spouses don't get uh, furious at them. So you do try to influence the, the court of public opinion to the extent that it doesn't have a negative impact on the on, on the trial, as, as uh, Justice Stevens once said, the job of a lawyer doesn't end at the courthouse door. It continues at the courthouse steps. And that's always been my philosophy. Uh, I make deals with prosecutors. If you don't want to talk about the case, I won't talk about the case. But if you go on the courthouse steps and um, come out against my client, I'm going to follow you on the courthouse steps and present the case in his favor. You, you go where the arguments are. And so... I do think that uh, televising uh, trials is absolutely, absolutely essential. Uh, as I said, it should be, every trial should be televised. Uh, court TV te televised a great many trials, particularly salacious ones, ones involving murder, most involving sexual offenses. Um, but I think every trial should. Look, we have C-SPAN. People think it's the most boring, you know, channel in history. Actually, <laughs> maybe I'm a boring guy, but actually occasionally do enjoy watching uh, congressional hearings. And there are some people who didn't want Congress, um, didn't want Congress televised for fear that we would learn how the sausages are made. Well, we have to know how the sausages are made. And whether the sausages are made uh, on the floor of Congress or in the chambers of judges or in courthouses around the country, we the citizens are entitled to know precisely what the ingredients of the sausages are. Um, now, I've been in courtrooms where the judges are just outrageous. Um, 
maybe most infamously was the Chicago 7 case where a judge named uh, Hoffman, um, we won, you know, basically we won the case and we won cases that followed the case because of his horrible misconduct. If it had been on television, I don't think he would have behaved the way he did um, in, 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 in a closed, relatively closed courtroom with 40 or 50 people in it and, and, and where um, um, the press was trying to, um, um, you know, present a, a more positive image perhaps for the court than was deserved. So I want to hear from you in your letters. What's your argument against televising? Uh, um, and, and why shouldn't every trial be, be televised? But even if you don't think every trial should be televised, when the man running for president of the United States and leading in the polls, certainly leading, I think his poll numbers are at 52 or 53% among the Republican nominees to 16 and 7% for the others. And, and according to some polls, leading in the general election, I, I hope to be able to change that with my vote. But um, uh, he's the leading candidate and he's being tried on political offenses. We are entitled to see that. We're entitled to form our own judgment and if there are proceedings to try to deny him the right to run under the 14th Amendment, we have to see those as well. We have to hear both sides of every issue. As you know, I've challenged Professor Lawrence Tribe, who is the biggest advocate um, of um, disqualifying President Trump under the 14th Amendment and his accolade, uh, Adam Schiff. Those are the two leading experts. I've challenged both of them to debate me. No, no, they're not going to debate me. They, they don't want to hear all sides of the issue. They want the public to hear only their side of the issue. And of course, CNN does that. It's never presented really uh, an articulate advocate on the other side. It, it presents the tribe point of view as if it's gospel. And uh, it presents um, the, the uh, district attorney of Fulton County as a hero. Um, and, and Alvin Bragg uh, initially was presented as a hero. Now, even the people who thought he was a hero having looked at some of the other indictments, they're saying, oh, damn, why did Bragg have to indict Trump on this extraordinarily weak case? Maybe he should drop it. And maybe he will. Uh, that would be a smart thing for him to do. But, you know, DAs live on publicity. You know what the only country in the world, the only Western democracy in the world that elects prosecutors and elects judges? It's part of the absurd extension of democracy under Andrew Jackson, Jacksonian democracy, elect everything. I think I've told you this before. You know how absurd electing some people are? Uh, in Florida, you elect the public defender. The public defender, the man who's paid to represent, and he runs for office. He runs for office. He's the guy who's going to represent the rapists, the robbers, the murderers who can't afford representation. Can you imagine the campaign? All right, candidate A says, well, I went to Harvard Law School. I had Professor Dershowitz as my teacher. He taught me all the tricks of the trade of how to be an effective criminal lawyer. And if you elect me as public defender, I assure you, I will win my cases. And, and rapists and robbers and muggers and murderers will be free to walk the streets. That's candidate A. Candidate B, duh. I went to uh, Joe's Law School. It's not certified, but I went to the law school. I flunked the bar four times. Uh, I've never tried a criminal case in my life. 
And if you elect me public defender, I guarantee you I'm not going to win any cases. And all the murderers are going to be locked up. Who do you think is going to win that? <laughs> you don't vote for public defenders. I don't think you should vote for prosecutors. I don't think you should have campaigns like Letitia James and Alvin Bragg a campaigning on the campaign promise, I'll get this particular defendant. I'll get Donald Trump. I'll get him. Get Trump. That's my campaign pledge. You think I invented the name of this book? I'm not that smart. It's not my title. I got it from these candidates. That's their campaign. Get Trump. That's not the way it should be. We should not elect judges. We should not elect prosecutors. They should be appointed in a much more professional way. But that's a subject for a different day. Okay, let's read just a few letters. Um, <laughs> some, A lot of them commented on my song that I sang, Majinka song, that I had sung at my daughter's wedding. By the way, a lot of people congratulated me on my daughter's wedding. Thank you, thank you uh, so much. She's on her honeymoon now. Uh, one letter. What a courageous man to sing in front of millions of people. It wasn't millions. It's, uh, I hope, maybe a couple of hundred thousand. Um, next guy. Okay, we could have done without the song, you know, to everybody, to everybody their tastes. But then there was another one after that who said, move over, Taylor Swift. The Dersh is a singing superstar. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, I just sang a song because I, I love my daughter and I wanted to sing a song to her. Um, um, which grows out of the Jewish tradition because she had a Jewish wedding and with a chuppah and the horah and she was lifted up on the chairs and uh, broke the glass and, and all of that. So I wanted to add to it by singing the Majinka song. And sorry if I bored <laughs> any of you by my singing. Uh, no comments on the Proud Boys being sentenced to 22 years. Yeah, I have a comment on that. I think it's a uh, much, much too excessive a sentence. This guy who was sentenced to 22 years wasn't even there. They claim he was, you know, behind the, the, the protest. Well, we've had many people behind protests before. Nobody's gotten anything like 22 years. Um, it, it seems to me that having these trials in the District of Columbia, where everybody thought they were victims, uh, has resulted in enormous number of excessive uh, sentences and um, um, and 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 uh, and unfair trials. Remember the District of Columbia, ninety-five percent of the jury pool uh, voted against Trump, and probably eighty percent hate his guts, and probably a hundred percent was strongly opposed, as I was, to what happened at the Capitol that day. But uh, these sentences, it seems to me, are way, way, way excessive. There has to be a sentence if there was violence and if there was a you know, deliberate attempt to obstruct um, the counting of votes. But 22 years, that's a lifetime, essentially. And it's, it's far, far too great. Professor Dershowitz, you had a, tri a child at age 52? No, no, I was 51. Uh, I was 51 and my wife and I had our daughter. And uh, she's been, uh, along with my other two boys, who I was much younger, I had my first child when I was like 22. Uh, so I have a, a, a large time difference between my oldest son and my, my young daughter. But, uh, yep, yep, I was in my 50s, and the best thing I ever did. 
What I never understood is that you were a lawyer. Why can't you just defend yourself? <laughs> you know what Abraham Lincoln said? A lawyer or a man, anybody who defends themselves, a lawyer who defends himself as a fool for a client. And uh, I don't want to be a fool, so I've always um, participated in, in my own cases, but I trust uh, my great lawyers uh, uh, to, to help me to bring about justice. And so far, that's proved to be very, very white. Dear Professor Dershowitz, why wouldn't you file a bar complaint against all those scoundrels from the 65 Project? Make them unable to represent anyone either. I, I don't believe in fighting fire with fire. Bar complaints um, based on doing what you believe is the right thing is, is not something that, uh, that should be uh, encouraged. And so I, I won't do that. If they, you know, commit any real ethical violations, um, yeah, yeah, maybe. But uh, next question, how many bananas are we up to? Well, we're up to six. And, um, you know, you can lose a banana. If the judge had severed some of the defendants or had postponed the trial, I would have taken a banana away. But no, it's staying. It's staying at six at this point. Um, Reversal of Fortune, still one of my favorite uh, movies. Yeah, uh, mine too. My son Elon, who's the producer of this podcast, was the co-producer, executive producer. I don't know the exact title of um, Reversal of Fortune, which, as you know, won it won an Oscar and has always been on every list of the hundred best films of all time. And um, so if you, if you have a chance to watch it sometime, if you're watching this podcast, I think you would really, really enjoy it. Now, just remember one thing when you watch it. It was a great actor, great actor uh, playing me, Ron Silver. Much better actor than I am and did a great job in making the oral arguments that I made in front of the court. But the one thing that he failed at is I'm a much better basketball player than he is. And he, there's a scene, a basketball scene. He's dribbling around meaninglessly. I would never have done that. I'd be driving the hoop. So when you watch the film and you see Ron Silva playing me, playing basketball without driving the hoop, you'll know it's a partly fictional film. The, the, the story is true, but the acting sometimes is a, a little bit fictional. But I'm so proud of my son, Elon. He was really right out of college when he brought the script, uh, which was not even finished book yet, to Hollywood, and he got the movie made. And uh, the movie was a great, a great success. And uh, I'm really proud of him and, and proud of the movie. So, all right, uh, next week <laughs> there'll be so many things that we have to talk about. You know, the one thing about having a podcast these days is you never, never run out of subjects. So I'll see you next week.